Well, welcome to another week of, of Luke. And if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it. Uh, um, we had a little treat last week. Uh, we got to have a little bit of Christmas in October. And I know if you're like me, that, that gets me excited, man. Makes me want to go to Hobby Lobby and spend too much money, you know. And some of you, though, when it comes to this Christmas thing and, and you know who you are, and if you don't know who you are, the person next to you probably knows who you are. But some of you are just out of control when it comes to Christmas, okay? The, the decorations go up earlier and earlier every year. They, they stay up later and later every year, right? Uh, some, some, you might have a year-round Christmas tree situation at your house, you know? But, but some of you people, it gets to be like September and you, you, you get that pumpkin spice look in your eye, you know? And the, 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 the weather dips below 80 and you break out the sweaters and the Uggs, you know? And, and let me just tell you this, and I'm... I'm I love you, right? I'm being honest with you. You need to hear this. If, if you're even thinking about Christmas decorations before Halloween, you have a problem, okay? You need to seek help. Anyway, so we, we, we got to have a little Christmas last week because we talked about the birth of Jesus. That's just kind of where Luke took us and the time it, it took us there. And it, it was an awesome thing. We, we talked about just God revealing himself in this baby, Jesus, as, as heaven and earth collided with each other. God literally writes himself into the story of humanity as Jesus comes to the earth. And man, this is, I don't know about you, but this has been super interesting for me because especially a story like the, the birth of Jesus, we've heard it a thousand times, but still again, as we are teaching through scripture verse by verse every week, I'm finding something that I didn't see before or something I didn't know before and just a different angle, you know, as we're looking at context and audience and all this stuff, just diving deep into the word of God. It's just a, a never ending fountain of, of knowledge and wisdom and things you can apply to your life. The word of God is alive and active and it is life changing. And I hope again that you're going on this journey with us. And, you know, we've, we've committed to, 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 to teach verse by verse through scripture for however long it takes us, 10, 20, 30 years or whatever at the rate we're going. But man, I can tell you as someone that, that works on our, our staff, we're, we're, we're just pumped about where God has taken us. And I really feel like something cool is happening. We've kind of turned a corner as we've committed to teaching scripture. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fired up. God's taken us to some exciting places. God's doing some things in, in our hearts and a lot of your hearts. And, and uh, I would encourage you, this is my little plug for the, the membership lunch. It's in a couple of weeks. If you love the city, if this is your church home in, become a member. Uh, sign up on our app under the signups thing, the signups tab. And you can sign up for that lunch. Just come hear all about us, where we're going, where we've been. And I mean, we'd love to have you partner with us and become a member of our church. So anyway, moving on. So, so Jesus is born. We're going to look at what happens next. And if you were here last week, you already know this, but I'll, I'll say it again. Uh, we're going to start doing some different things when it comes to the scripture reading. Weeks like this week, there's like 21 verses that we're covering and so we're asking different people each week to come up and read the scripture uh, to us. Uh, that that kind of gives you a break from my voice and Clayton's voice and lets you get to know some other church members. And then we're also, um, during this kind of scripture reading time, we're, we're standing during, during the reading just to kind of get, give honor to God and his, his, his uh, word. And so uh, we asked Rocky this week if he would share with us, if he would read the scripture for us. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. We're starting in verse 21. They'll be on the screen as well. And I'd ask you guys to stand, if you don't mind, as we uh, read the scripture. Rocky. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Rocky Boaz, and my wife, Kimberly, and I, we serve on the uh, First Impressions team here. And I've also served with Pastor Fred at Hope City LCDC. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. <clears throat> Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, 
and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She is the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Thank you, Rocky. You guys can have a seat. So if you notice, especially if you're looking at your Bible, there's three different sections here. Uh, And we're going to kind of take those three sections one at a time and pull out a couple of insights and then kind of tie it together at the end with our our big idea. But I kind of want to start with the the location of where this is all happening. It's at the temple. Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus to the temple, and it's an extremely significant thing. Uh, this, this, this temple in Jerusalem is the, the literal center of God's presence on the earth. It's not like our church buildings today, right? Like this is a nice building, it's a church or whatever, but it's just a building. It's just bricks and drywall and pews, right? This temple was God's presence. It's where God's presence resided. This, this collision of heaven and earth the two things coming together, it was, it was in the temple. And Jesus, we, we, we learn here real quick that he was born to parents who kept the Jewish law to the letter. As it was prescribed in Judaism, they, they, they made the trip to the temple to, to do these, these different uh, acts, this, the ceremonies basically. They, they, they were faithful in keeping the laws of Judaism. And we see a couple of different ceremonies here kind of combined uh, according to, to God's law. You have the, the purification of the woman after 40 days and then the presentation of the firstborn to God. Those are both found in Leviticus. And then the dedication of the firstborn into the Lord's service. So this, this cleansing ceremony for the mother, it's kind of interesting. A week after the birth of a boy, it's different if the child was a girl. Uh, I don't really know why, but for the boy, uh, one week after the birth of the boy, the mother went through kind of a ceremonial washing, but then 33 days after that, she was to go to the temple for purification and to, to offer this, this offering. We're, we're not talking about a monetary thing. It, it was this old covenant sacrificial system where, uh, you know, she was supposed to come, the mother was supposed to come and, and make a couple of different sacrifices. Now, it was prescribed that the, the first sacrifice was supposed to be a lamb and then an additional offering of a single pigeon or, or a turtle dove. And if you read what we just read, there was no mention of a lamb. Do you know why that is? It's because there's a provision in the law that was made for people that were very, very poor. Instead of a lamb, you, you could substitute a second pigeon or second turtle dove. And that's what Mary did. So, so again, like Clayton made the point last week, this is who God chose to be a part of his story. He didn't come to the wealthy. He didn't come to the, you know, a, a noble person or, or somebody that was part of some kind of kingdom or, or the, the high society people or whatever. He came to the lowliest of the low. He came to, to Mary who, who didn't have anything. She was very, very poor. So again, lamb, instead of a lamb, you have the, the two turtle doves. And then if you were really, really poor, it's a partridge in a pear tree. I'm kidding. That part is not part of scripture, but 
Uh, I don't know what a turtle dove is, but maybe somebody can explain it to me. Um, but regardless, she was poor. And Mary and Joseph were dedicated to following the Lord. They were dedicated to their faith. This 40-day tradition, the, the firstborn son taken to the temple to be dedicated in service to God. And these two little scenes here, the, the purification and the dedication, this kind of points towards just their faithfulness to the Jewish law and Jewish customs and, and, and to God himself. It shows their, their piety. So this word pious, you know, in my mind, like I've heard it used a lot in a, in a negative way, but if you look at the definition of pious, it simply means to be devout in your faith. And that's exactly what they were. They were committed to following the commandments of God down to every single detail. And it's interesting, Luke here presents this family as, as, as obedient, unquestionably pious. They were, they were faithful. And you look at the, the Jewish people as a whole, I think it's a, a cool picture of what it looks like to approach God in the right way. They were very careful to obey everything that God had prescribed to them in, in, this, in this old covenant. They had a, a healthy fear and reverence of God, and they approached him that way. In my opinion, this is something that we are sorely lacking these days. Clayton talked about it last week. If you remember his story about the moth, he was sitting in a fire pit, and this moth was walking towards the flame as if it had nothing to fear, right? And then it got too close, and then whew, it was gone. That's the kind of, of, of God. We, we serve a, a infinitely holy and righteous God. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire. He's not our bro, our homeboy. <laughs> you know, He is a holy and righteous God. He's a consuming fire. And then it goes on in Hebrews 12 to say, let us worship him. How? Not with love and joy and the, the warm fuzzies, you know, there's a time and place for all of that. But it says here, he's a consuming fire. Let us worship him with holy fear and awe. That's the God we serve. And Clayton kind of laid it out for us last week. Like if you were wondering what fearing the Lord looks like, he says it means to be afraid of God. A fear of the Lord. We're, we're missing that in our, in our culture today. I think we can stand to learn something about how, how the Jewish people approach God with just a healthy respect and reverence and, yes, a fear of the Lord. They were, they were so careful to follow all of the customs, all of the laws laid out for them. And one of the biggest ones we read in that very first verse, uh, tw verse 21, was the eighth day, the, the boy being circumcised. And as a part of this custom, he was also named. We saw the same thing with John the Baptist a few verses ago. But Jesus was, was named uh, Jesus. Why, why the name Jesus? Because God chose it. That's the name that Gabriel said to Mary. You'll call him Jesus. And, and you know, in those days, there was a lot in a name. The, the name meant something. They, they, had, they had meanings in it. It would usually have something to do with their, their direction in life. And it was no different with Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua or, or um, Yeshua in the Hebrew, which literally means Yahweh saves. I mean, it's right there spelled out in the name of Jesus, his purpose for coming to the earth, Yahweh saves, God saves. That's a fitting name for the one who was born to save his people from their sins. That's kind of our first takeaway today is God is a saving God. He's a saving God. To see Jesus is to see God's salvation. To see Jesus is to see God's light and to be revealed like who God, it's like God said, you want to know what I'm like? Do you want to see me? Like, look at Jesus. Jesus was God in flesh and he came and made his home among us all for the purpose of saving us from our sins. It's in his name. So now we have Luke, again, who's writing a, an account. He's, he's interviewing witnesses. He's trying to come up with this accurate account of what actually took place when it came to Jesus and his birth and all through his life and ministry. And he's looking for credible witnesses. And we're introduced to two more of them now. We've already met Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, right? He described all of them as, as very um, uh, faithful people. 
And it's the same with these next two witnesses that we are introduced to. We have Simeon and Anna. He kind of presents them as male and female counterparts who kind of represent this, this remnant that was left in those days of what very few faithful people were left. People that were faithful to God and were, were looking forward to this, this coming Messiah. And that's what Luke was set out to do. Find credible people. And there's two more of them here. We'll talk about Simeon first. Now, Simeon, a couple of different um, interesting things about him. This is the only, only time he, he appears in scripture at all. It's just in this one little uh, patch of verses here. And we learn that he was watching and he was waiting and he was eagerly anticipating the coming of the Messiah. He had waited his whole life to see Jesus. He's described as righteous because of his faith, just like Abraham. You know, Abraham was counted as righteous because of his faith. It was the same with Simeon. And we learn also that he was filled with the spirit. Now, this happened a lot of years before Pentecost, right? Like when they're in the upper room, the Holy Spirit fell. But what we can see here and all throughout the Old Testament is God's spirit was alive and active from the very beginning. Before there was a heaven and an earth, you had the Trinity, the, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he was active in these days. You can see clearly here that Simeon had the spirit of God inside of him. See, the, the spirit of God had, had given him some insight that he wouldn't normally have had. He, God told him that before he died, he would see Jesus. He would see God's salvation, the Messiah. And it's the same with us. When, when we have the, the Holy Spirit in us guiding our lives, we get insight we wouldn't normally have. We get wisdom and discernment that we normally wouldn't have because God knows everything and his spirit on the inside of us leads us and guides us. It was guiding Simeon to this very moment. He meets Mary and Joseph and of course, Jesus. I want, I want you to kind of think about this moment for Simeon. Put yourself in his shoes. He's waited his entire life for it eagerly anticipating this coming Messiah. And then there he is right in front of him, the baby Jesus. He takes Jesus into his arms. I mean, can you imagine what he would have been feeling? The, the Messiah, the one that was prophesied about in, in all throughout the, the, the scriptures. He, here he's face to face with him, holding him, literally looking into the face of God. And he knows it. Can you imagine you ever like look forward to something like you just can't wait for the day to come, you know, like maybe it's a vacation or something, you're like counting down uh, the days or, or even like bigger picture things like, man, before I die, I'd really love to experience this or that. And, and you're and I remember being a kid growing up in church um, and, and, you know, you'd always hear these are the last days, you know, Jesus could come back at, like a thief in the night. You know, you never know. Just whoop, it's over. And as a kid, you're like, man. That sounds great and everything, but there's a lot I want to experience in life before, before he comes back, right? Maybe I'm the only one, but as a kid, I was like, man, I'd really like to, you know, maybe, I don't know, kiss a girl or something or, or get my driver's license, you know, or maybe one day get married, you know, wink, wink. Um, but then by the time you have teenagers, you're like, Lord Jesus, please come back. You know, I'm so ready. Uh, that's where I'm at currently. So whatever it is that you're, you're looking forward to, th this is, this is, a huge, again, this is the, the, the biggest moment in human history, the coming of the Messiah. And here, Simeon is face to face with Jesus. Everything he's been waiting for is happening before his very eyes. And now he's content to die. Like his life was leading up to this one moment. I mean, it, it's just a beautiful picture of what it looks like for someone to be completely surrendered to God, to his plan. Not just for your life, but for your death. Think about that. He was completely surrendered. God, whatever, whatever you want for me, that's what I want. If you're ready to take me, I'm ready to go. So just a, an awesome picture of what a surrendered life looks like. Not, not just God's will, but again, the, 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 the timing of everything. The timing of God's will, the timing of his death. Here is a servant who seeks to only do what God has called him to do. And his entire life, his existence, his death, everything is in God's hands. And he's completely content with that. So 
having seen Jesus, having seen God's salvation, everything else in his life pales in, in comparison. Like he's, he's seen God face to face. Anything else in his life, anything he'd, he'd accomplished at that point is just pales in comparison to this one moment that he's waited for for so long. It kind of reminds me of that verse in Philippians chapter three. This is uh, Paul talking, you, you probably remember, he's, he's talking about how good of a Jew he was. He's like, I was the Jew of all Jews. I was the best of them. He was pretty confident, right? He, he said he was, a, he was a Pharisee. He was the greatest of all the Pharisees. Like he knew the scripture inside and out. He knew it all. He'd accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish, but he was missing something. He didn't even know what that was until he, he encountered Jesus on that road to Damascus. He met Jesus face to face. And then he says this about his life. He says, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So he's saying, look, your, your, your life, my life, my life is all about Jesus. That's it. That's what my entire life is built around. Did you know that your walk with God, your, your faithful service to him, you're following Jesus, that's what defines everything else about your life. It all starts there. Your, your, your life is supposed to be built around your relationship with Jesus. That's what Paul's getting at here. Like it, nothing else, nothing else in life matters. What matters most, especially when you look at your life in comparison to all of eternity, this little blip of a life we have on the timeline. It's all about Jesus. That's the most important thing. That's the thing we have to get right. We have to know Jesus, have an intimate relationship with him, learn what it means to follow him. Like Simeon, to be our life devoted to his service, to following Jesus, surrender to his will, surrender to his, his timing for your life. So my question for you, how surrendered are you to God's will? How much thought do you give it? How surrendered are you to his timing? How pious are you? How devoted to the faith are you? Are, are you all in or are you just kind of a casual, whatever kind of bystander? Are you a follower or are you just a fan? Simeon was all in. His life devoted. He comes to this moment, sees Jesus face to face, and then he responds. He sings. He sings. We see this model all throughout scripture. Anytime God overwhelms people just with his goodness and faithfulness, his grace, his holiness, whatever, God saves them from something, their response is always a song. They sing, it, it just a, a praise to God, a thank you to God. That's why we sing, by the way. In case you were wondering, you know, we sing in church not because that's just what you do in church. We don't sing in church just to fill time or to entertain ourselves or whatever. We sing in response to the truth of the gospel. The songs that we sing are, are full of, of truth, full of scripture, full of revelations about who God is. And when you're confronted with that truth, the only response we can have as believers is, is a song of praise saying, thank you. Not just for what he's done for us, but for who he is. He's worthy of our song. That's why we sing. That's why Simeon sang. And I love this. I found this little quote from one of the theologians, uh, theologians I was reading as I was kind of studying, he says it this way. He says, do you see what was behind Simeon's song? It's like Simeon is saying, oh Lord, I don't have to watch this child grow up. I don't have to watch him multiply the fishes and the loaves to feed the 5,000 people to be convinced. I don't have to watch him walk on water or turn water into wine. I don't have to be on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't have to be an eyewitness of the resurrection or his ascension into heaven. I have seen all I need to see. He, he spoke of this moment in this, this song of praise that he was singing. He spoke of this moment. I have seen God's salvation. He sees that he's holding a baby, yet he's talking about the end when Jesus is the Savior. 
Like it's already happened. He was completely convinced of the promises of God. What an awesome moment that was. And you can imagine just the, the smiles on their faces and just that, that just joyous moment. Like, yeah, it's really happening, right? All the things that were promised to Mary and then and looking into the future and what her son was going to become. It's, it's all kind of the ball starting to roll here. And she can see it. It's, it. Other people are confirming it. And she's like, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever. And then Simeon does something right in the middle of all the fun. He goes a little bit Debbie Downer. Okay, he kind of breaks the mood. He, he brings some levity into that situation. And you're like, come on, Simeon, man, we were having such a good time. But, but remember, he's being led by the Spirit. So, so this was obviously something that the Spirit of God was wanting to say to Mary specifically. He addresses Mary and he says, but hold up just a second. There's going to be some hard days ahead. In the middle of this happy moment, he turns to her. He says, listen, it's important that you know, don't be surprised when, when your son faces hostility. He's trying to, to give her a little bit of a heads up of what's coming down the road, how Jesus would be rejected by the nation of Israel and ultimately crucified. He's saying, listen, hard times are ahead. And he gets kind of graphic with her, trying to drive this point home. He says this. He says, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Man, I bet you Mary didn't see this coming. As she looked at this son of hers that was going to unite the people and was going to be the savior and set up his kingdom on the earth and everything else. Like she, there's no way she could have saw this coming. He's given her a very, very somber, stern warning. You, you parents in the room, imagine, have you ever seen your child in pain? Have you ever seen them maybe made fun of or embarrassed or rejected by, by someone, their feelings hurt them just be devastated, maybe being in, in physical pain? Have you ever witnessed that, what it does to your heart as a parent? Now imagine what Mary holding this baby, she, she has no idea what's coming. Imagine what she's going to have to go through throughout her, his, his life as he's completely abandoned and rejected and beaten, tortured. He hangs dying on a cross right in front of her. I mean, imagine what she's going to have to go through, the suffering she's going to have to endure as her son is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. Simeon talks here about Jesus bringing some, some separation division even. He says it this way, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, many others to rise. Jesus is going to bring division. Interesting, right? That's, that's our next takeaway. Jesus is the great divider. The great dividing line. Jesus, he's saying, will split the nation in two. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate stumbling block. He came to separate the sheep from the goats. The idea here is that with Jesus, you don't get to be neutral. When you're confronted with the truth of the gospel, you're either for him or you're against him. There's no middle ground. He's the great divider. And you might be like, wait, I thought Jesus was all love, right? All acceptance. He brings everyone together, right? To, to accept each other as we are and no judgment. Hey man, it's all, it's all good. Not so fast, my friend. Jesus' very existence forces the question of every single one of us. We've all, we've all faced it. What are you going to do with Jesus. When we're confronted with the gospel, you got to go one of two ways. There's no middle ground. He's either Lord or he's not. You're either following him or you're not. Are you a follower? It's an in or out kind of thing. Like there's, there's no middle ground. There's no neutral. Do you believe the gospel or not? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins or not? Have you 
done something with that. If you haven't, then you have. You've walked away from it. You've turned away from it. That free gift that he's offering us. We've talked a lot about the City 7 recently. Every week we're given a, a, one of the seven uh, truths, like why we believe what we believe. And we're back around to number four today. It says this, can a person be good enough to go to heaven? No. Because Jesus rose from the dead, proving he is God, I believe a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's all about faith in Jesus. And then Paul in Romans 4 says it this way, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. And then a little later in verse 16, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. This promise of a right relationship with God, eternity with him in heaven, this promise is offered to you as a free gift. It's offered, the gift is offered, it's before you. You can either choose to take it or not. And so I'm pleading with you today, if there's any doubt about where you stand with God, there doesn't have to be. There's not a magic prayer to pray. It's just a heart decision that you make to, to take that gift, to put your faith not in yourself and how good you are, but in Jesus, what he did for you on the cross as he, he died in your place. Remember, we serve a, a holy God, a consuming fire. Where, where God is, sin cannot exist. Sin dies, right? So if we want a relationship with God, we have to take care of our problem of sin because we're not perfect. That's why Jesus came. He was perfect. He lived that perfect life that we can't live. He died in our place. And now he offers you that, that chance at, a, again, a right relationship with the holy and righteous God. So don't waste another second. Put your faith in Jesus today. Become a follower. Become a follower. But... You should know, as we all should. I'm going to take a little cue from Simeon here and rain on your parade just a little bit. Following Jesus isn't easy. Following Jesus isn't easy. If it is, if you feel like following Jesus is easy, you might not be doing it right. You, you might not be doing it at all. Following Jesus it's not easy. It's not an easy road. Now, did you know, here's something you might not have heard before, but did you know there's no reference in scripture to inviting Jesus into your heart? You know, it's one of the things you hear, like you talk to someone that was raised in church, or whatever. Oh yeah, when I in second grade in Sunday school, I asked Jesus into my heart and now I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. But you know, they may not be living for him at all now, but they, they have that moment where they ask Jesus into their heart. And so they're, they're good, right? There's nowhere in scripture that says anything about that. There's a loose connection here to that verse in Revelation 3 where Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? But that's in Jesus' letter, this, this prophecy that John wrote down, his letter to the church at Laodicea. Guess what they're famous for? They were the lukewarm church. He says, be hot, be cold, but don't be lukewarm. And he says, I'm, I'm standing, knocking, asking you to come in and, and dine with you. That, that's referencing a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. He, he's basically admonishing them. He's giving them a little bit of a, of a spanking and telling them to stop playing games. Like get in or get out, like become a, a true follower. It wasn't a matter of salvation. And that's what he calls us to as well. Not not in between, be hot or be cold. Don't be lukewarm. Like go all in with me. It's about a personal intimate relationship with Jesus. You either have one or you don't. He, he didn't say, ask me into your heart, you know, invite me in for tea and let's just relax and wait for the end to come. Whatever you're good with, I'm good with, right? No, no, no. He, he said, take up your cross and follow me. What was a cross? That meant execution, that meant death. Jesus is saying to us, not come and relax, but come and die. It's not a feel good message. 
Following Jesus means forsaking everything else, making him Lord of your life. And I'm just telling you right now, when you are following Jesus in a world that is hostile to God, it's going to mean hostility. It's going to mean going through difficult things. It's going to mean ridicule. If Jesus faced division and rejection, if we're following him, we can expect the same. Here's our next takeaway. Following will sometimes mean suffering. It's not all gonna be sunshine and rainbows. Following sometimes means, means suffering. Anyone, you look at all the lives of the disciples and the, the, the apostles, the early church, Paul, they, they knew suffering because following Jesus isn't easy in a world that's hostile to him. Philippians chapter three, Paul says it this way. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Get this. You ever prayed this before? I want to suffer with him. Oh God, let me suffer with Jesus. Have you ever prayed that? I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. He, he wants to have such a relationship with Jesus that he wants to, to know him in his, his suffering. Paul, the rest of the early church, they knew that living for Jesus included not just sharing in the, the joy of knowing Christ, but sharing in his suffering. Paul experienced unspeakable difficulties for following Jesus. In fact, the only reason he experienced those trials was because he was following Jesus. Some of us aren't even willing to be even slightly inconvenienced for him, much less suffer for him. If you like, like it or not, our, our world that we live in, our country even, every day looks more and more like the days of the early church. And I don't know if you're into eschatology, you know, the, the study of the end times, but if you read your Bible, you read the revelations, it's, it's not going to get better. In fact, it's pretty clear it's going to get a lot worse. Are you ready to suffer for him? Man, that's, those are difficult questions. But I can guarantee you that if you're not following Jesus, you're not gonna be willing to suffer for him. Are you in or are you out? The goal of, of trusting in Jesus is to know him, to know him in a personal, intimate relationship and to know the power of his resurrection so that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you as a as a believer but but his power in believers is made known in our suffering think about that this power is made known as we share in the same kind of sufferings that Jesus faced but the good news is that those who suffer with Jesus, those who suffer for Jesus in the end, like Paul's saying, attain the resurrection of the dead, even as Jesus did. No matter what we suffer on this earth, we win in the end because he wins in the end. And we're promised a life for eternity in heaven with him. That's what awaits us if we'll be devoted followers of Jesus. That's what Simeon was. That's the example he gives us. And it's also the warning, I think, that he gives us. So you have this scene at the temple, Simeon, Mary, Joseph, and then up walks Anna. Anna walks up and, and she kind of interrupts this conversation that they're happening. A couple of things about Anna. This is the only time she's in scripture as well. She's one of very, very few uh, women in the Bible that are, that are called a prophetess. Her husband died after seven years. The, the translation we just read said that she was 84 years old. Uh, other theologians believe that to mean that she lived 84 years after her husband's death. She could be in her hundreds already. The point is she's very old and she's very faithful. She's very faithful. She's, she's pious. She's devoted to the faith. She never left the temple. 
That means she never left the temple. She was there all the time. She probably lived there. They had some apartments in kind of the, the outer courts of the temple complex and the, the priests that would come in for their two years of service, uh, two weeks of service every year, they would stay there. So most likely she stayed there. She never left. And what did she spend her time doing? She spent all of her time serving day and night with fasting and prayer. She was committed, devoted to pray, constant in her faith. Fasting and praying, she didn't give up. You know what fasting is? Fasting is where we deny ourselves something so that we can press into God, so we can hear him more clearly. Usually that means food. We stop eating for a little bit so we can really listen for God to speak. We're saying no to our flesh so we can say yes to him. Jesus taught about prayer and fasting. Do you know what he said in both situations? He said, when you pray, not if you pray, right? So when you pray as believers, we're supposed to be praying. And then when he talked about fasting, he said, when you fast, he didn't say if you should decide to fast. He said, when you fast, and then there was another time when they were trying to, the disciples were trying to cast this demon out of a guy and Jesus tells them when it comes to fasting, he said, he said, some things only come about through prayer and fasting. That's what Anna was, was doing with her life. She was faithful. She was fasting. She was praying. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Next takeaway is faithfulness matters to God. It matters to him. We see that word used over and over in these people in, you know, Zechariah, Elizabeth, uh, Mary and Joseph, now Simeon and Anna, they're all described as faithful. And it's their faithfulness that, that is allowing God to use them as part of his story. So my question for you, as we look at the life of, of Anna, who was faithful to pray and to fast, what, what, have you been, what have you given up praying for? How often, how consistently are you praying for your marriage and your kids and your church? How, how often do you say praying for you and then you don't? I'm guilty of that sometimes. Or you do the little prayer hands, you know, in a text or on Facebook or something. Somebody's going through something difficult and you give the little prayer hand emoji. Side note, that's a high five. I don't know if you knew that or not, but my grandma died, like high five. Like think about that next time, but... No, you, you need, we need to be praying for people. How often are we faithful to pray? Are you in? Are you out? There's no in between. Anna continued the rest of her life speaking about Jesus. Everybody she came in contact with, she, she told about the Messiah. He's here. It's happening. And again, Simeon and Anna's faithfulness, along with the grace of God in their lives, allows them to be right in the middle of God's story. Right there in the pages of scripture, they're there, just regular people because they're faithful and they wanna be used by God. That's our big idea today. A faithful life is a meaningful life. A faithful life is a meaningful life. Life, faithfulness, consistency, devotion, piety. Do you want to be a part of God's story or do you want to write your own? Do you want to live a life of significance or of comfort? Because I can tell you those two don't go together. Do you want to live for Jesus or do you want to live for you? Again, it's an either or. It, it, there, there's, there's no neutrality here. It's either in, out, hot or cold. Where are you? I want to share a, a story with you from my mom. She's um, referred to affectionately on our staff as Mama Beth. And I asked her to kind of share her story just of you know, just growing up in the church and ministry and, and just how God challenged her in different ways and, and kind of pushed her out of her comfort zone and, and what it means to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit to lead you and, and being willing to step out into something super scary and uncomfortable and difficult. But, but the reward on the other side of that obedience and how 
God can just give you just a life of, of again, just significance and, and worth and meaning, right, in your life. And so I asked her to share on video. So you guys check this out. Ministry came very naturally to me because I was raised by a mom who was very involved in, in ministry. So I helped her as a child. She was, she was in children's ministry in all different ways. And by the time I was 12, I was doing music for her and playing keyboard and, and uh, leading kids in worship. Then by the time I was in high school, probably a senior in high school, I started uh, teaching kids' class in Sunday school. So all of that just came real normally for me. I really thought that was the way I should be. Uh, no pressure from anyone, but it just felt natural. And so from that point, I went into um, high school ministry and well junior high and high school and and did that for some years and then i moved it was like a gradual progression up i moved up to adults and that's where i really found my niche as you would as you might say it it's where i fit exactly and i knew it i was always involved in music and stuff like that but more and more as I aged, as, as life went by, I fit more and loved more the ministry to adults. And that became a real passion for me, especially to women, because I wanted them to know the things I had learned. And I'd learned them in hard ways, but the more I learned, the more it burned in me to pass that on to other people. It became my favorite place, my favorite thing to do. And I would say I was extremely comfortable in it. So much so that probably some little bit of arrogance came in there maybe. Um, I felt capable, that's probably the word. I knew I could do that, so I did. But then a friend of mine called me one day, six and a half years ago. She said, Beth, I have committed us to do a church service for the women at the Lubbock County Detention Center, which is the county jail. And I need you to help me. And please, will you help me? I've, we'll just do it this one time and we'll see how it goes. And and. If you'll just help me, then we can try, give this a try, and, and we'll see what God does. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, nope, no way, uh, mm -mm, not going to happen. And I heard my voice say, okay. Why my voice said, okay, all I can say, it was just the Holy Spirit giving me a shove from the back, because I didn't see it coming. I'll never forget every time I walk through the door and there's all these heavy doors that slam behind you and the loud sound. For weeks, I would jump out of my skin every time the door would slam behind me. And that feeling of, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I don't know. It, it stayed with me. At the same time, I saw women who were nothing like me, no background like mine, nothing that would have made me think they would feel comfortable or associate themselves with me. Um, yet we stood there, my whole ministry team, our ministry team, Isaiah 58, in front of those ladies and saw women who were broken and hungry and so ready to hear about how loved they were how accepted they were. And every one of us, after that very first service, yes, we were freaked out. Yes, it was just a little scary and completely out of every one of our comfort zones. But we saw God move in a way we had never 
seen before. And it was amazing. And there was nothing that I wanted to do more than that thing that I thought was so crazy that I couldn't possibly want to do or, or be able to do. It was like a hook in my jaw and that was it. We have seen hundreds and hundreds of women who have reached out for Jesus and become passionate followers. We've baptized many hundreds of women. I have no idea. I would expect close to a thousand in that amount of time. And it's the best thing I've ever, ever done. So thank you, God, for pulling me, pushing me, however you want to say it, out of my comfort zone because it wasn't where I would really see the miraculous. And that would be what I would say to you. It is for anyone who will just be willing to say, yes, God make me uncomfortable. God use me in ways I didn't expect. And God will do it. That's my best advice. Just. Get ready, tighten the seatbelt, because God wants to take you places that you never expected to go. Would you guys help me thank my mom for sharing? Um, listen, it's been a, a, a difficult message, heavy in a lot of ways, right? You probably feel a little beat up. I know I do. But I think... We all, we all, this is the question we all face today. Do, do you, you know, it, it's the time for playing games is just, it's over. You know, do, do you want your life to be one of significance and impact or do you want to be comfortable? Do you want to be safe? We all have that, that choice to make every single day. And again, it starts with following Jesus, learning to hear the voice of God in your life, being obedient to him. And like my mom just said, he'll take you places you never dream of going. And there will be difficulty and there will be growth that needs to happen and stretching, but, but that kind of life is what you were made for. Not to sit back and watch it happen. So I would encourage you today, ask, ask God, what, what, what is it that you're calling me to? Is there something that he's, he's been kind of birthing in you and you're feeling this kind of nudge to do something, but you, you haven't because you're, you're afraid of it or you don't want to give something up or whatever. Whatever it is for you, just ask God to, to kind of solidify that in your heart and then act on it. Act on it. Just like Jesus on that 40th day dedicated to the service of God. Do that in your own heart today. God, I'm, I dedicate myself to your service. Whatever that looks like, I want to go with you. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you choose to use regular people like Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna. And like, like all of us, God, you, you use us for your purposes. And we know that is the life that's going to be the most fulfilling. That's the life living in the, the spirit under the, the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's the only way we're going to get the things that we want out of life to get the love and the joy and the peace that we're all after. God, we want significance. We want to be part of your story. And we know the only way to do that is to say yes to you, to take a step in your direction. And that's what we do today. God, we say yes to you, whatever it looks like, whatever it is, we want to go with you. Use us, God. We love you. Amen.